And we welcome you into the Dog Bowl in Berea. It is episode two of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs. To the left of me, Andrew Gribble. And we are one week closer to the 2020 NFL Draft from Las Vegas, Nevada. Gribbs, a busy day here in Berea. The announcement of Andrew Barry as the general manager of your Cleveland Browns. And uh, the, the staffs are starting to come together. The personnel are starting to come together. Finally have the makings here of what this 2020 Browns team will look like from a hierarchy standpoint. Yeah, and today was more of a formal announcement. Andrew Barry's been on the job for about nine or ten days now, so he's he's kind of gotten uh, hit the ground running. I think Jimmy Haslam said he's already made his mark uh, in the first ten days. So kind of getting really his job right now is getting everything in line, getting everything ready, getting everyone on the same page going into the combine uh, going into free agency, but uh, it was just a significant moment, especially when when Jimmy Haslam uh, closes his opening remarks, saying the youngest general manager in NFL history. On top of that, you throw in I think he's the uh, just the second active uh, minority general manager in the NFL right now. Uh, so just a lot of significance behind today's announcement. That's why you bring the entire family here. Uh, I was joking with people earlier. His two kids were way more quiet than my two would have ever been uh, <laughs> during that press conference. I was impressed. Your kids uh, are angels. Yeah, they are. But uh, 30 minutes is a big ask. And they, and they they were troopers throughout that press conference. But it was just uh, it was a good moment to see. And, and I think it was I wouldn't say it was a different Andrew Berry because I think he, he's been this impressive guy from the moment, uh, you know, he started here in 2016. But he's in a different position now, and it's a position of, of immense responsibility and power, and I think he's kind of embraced that, and I think that that, that showed through in a, in a few of his answers today. I, I, it was a quiet confidence, yeah, a, a much more confident uh, general manager uh, than you know pro player personnel guy, right? Uh, you know, under Sashi Brown a few years ago, I think, uh, and that goes back to the day that he met the staff inside this building. You know, when when we found out that he was going to be the GM, he met with the staff. And from the moment he started talking, it was one of those things where it was like, this is a different guy. Yeah. He's 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 a much different person than he was a few years ago. Yeah, and I think that that's why it's obviously significant that he's the youngest general manager in NFL history at 32 years old, but uh, clearly doesn't carry himself that way. I mean, that, that this guy is, is kind of wise beyond his years. Obviously, you go to Harvard – uh, that makes you wise beyond your years to begin with. Uh, and just the way he's been able to learn and grow in the NFL uh, with all the experience he's accumulated already in a, in a short amount of time, uh, he, he's ready for this job. And I, I think that uh, he's in a situation that he feels very comfortable with, with a coach he really likes uh, and, and Kevin Stefanski and Paul DePodesta, who he worked with before. So he knew what he was getting into. Uh, and really, when now when you talk about in the short term what he needs to get on, on page with, you know, there's a lot of players on this roster maybe that he isn't as familiar with, but most of them he is because he was here just a year ago. People forget that he was in the room when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward. I mean, that he, he was around for that, and he was around for the evaluations. He was also doing evaluations for this upcoming draft class with the Philadelphia Eagles. So he is in a in a pretty good position where you're not just getting him uh, coming in cold. I mean, he, he knows he knows this roster, but again, it's gonna his evaluations are going to have to mesh with the coaching staff, how they want to operate this football team. So uh, a lot that needs to get done here in, the, in kind of his first six weeks on the job. Yeah, we will hear from the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski, coming up a little bit later in the podcast. We've also got some new mock drafts, some overachievers on the mocks this week. A seven-round seven mock from Matt Miller, a three-round mock from Chad Reuter from NFL.com, and, of course, Todd McShay with his mock draft 2.0 coming up 
Also, again, Kevin Stefanski will join us to give us his thoughts on Andrew Barry. Those two have a good relationship that goes back uh, a lot further than maybe people uh, realize. Yeah, they met through Leslie Frazier uh, at the Senior Bowl 10 years ago. But more importantly, it's all about how they connected it the first time Stefanski interviewed to be the Browns head coach back in 2019. And uh, it, it's interesting to hear uh, from Stefanski's perspective what those interviews were like, both when he was on one side of the table than the other side of the table with, with Andrew Barry. And I, I think the uh, we heard from uh, Kevin Stefanski earlier today at his press conference, and I think that he really wanted to, to drive this point home. And, you know, he was asked a lot of questions about George Payton back at the Cleveland Sports uh, Awards uh, a few weeks ago. And I think a lot of people made some conclusions that, you know, he worked with this guy, he's going to be his pick for the job. Sure. But I think that he made it pretty clear today. I mean, this is this went beyond friendships, which he has a great friendship with George Payton. I mean, it's it's about a working relationship. And the more we hear about this, the more it became clear through the process that, that Andrew Barry emerged as, as kind of the top choice for everyone to kind of be on the same page and be on board with where this franchise wants to head. Some takeaways from Andrew Barry's press conference earlier. Uh, the philosophy on players that he wants. Smart, tough accountable on and off the field and he repeated that a couple times throughout the uh, throughout the day in his meeting with the press conference at the press conference his meeting with the media his one-on-one on Cleveland Browns daily uh, they clearly have traits that these guys are going to be looking for in the coming months not just from the current players on the roster but from future Browns as well yeah and I think that that's probably clear throughout the NFL uh, it's just that different uh, GMs approach it a little bit differently and some you know you might take risks somewhere here some might not but it'll just be interesting to see how that is kind of implemented with this roster and you just want to see the players buy into that as well and I think you can have this philosophy and now it's about going out and getting guys that match that and I think that it was an interesting question that was asked to Stefanski earlier today. Is like, what do you does this match the roster you have? And he really couldn't. He could answer it, but he, he believes so. But it's more about once you get to get these guys in the building on April sixth, that's when you're going to have a better idea. So uh, I, I don't expect a, a major roster turnover. I don't think any of us do. I think the the key points that that Andrew Barry made was there's a young foundation here with core players, and more some most importantly, there's a quarterback in place in Baker Mayfield. So you're already in a way different position than when he started here in 2016. So now it's just kind of building off that foundation and fitting the pieces together. That give you and one of my takeaways was he talked about one of the things he learned in Philadelphia was putting together the right 53 and not just assembling the, the most possible talent I think that goes into fitting the right pieces in where they need to be different personality types different position types I think that that was a key uh, I would say just a philosophy indicator that I think was was pretty clear uh, from Andrew Barry to, during today's press conference yeah and he also said from his time in Philadelphia pedal to the floor on finding any competitive advantage and also getting to know players more on a personal level. And we'll, we'll talk to the head coach of the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, coming up in a little bit as to his philosophy when it comes to that. But what else did you take away? I mean, he, Barry talked for almost 35 minutes today, and he got asked just about everything uh, under the sun and answered it well. Well, yeah, a couple newsy items, I guess. First off, it doesn't sound like the Browns are going to be replacing uh, three of the front office executives that left the day after Barry was hired in Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf. Uh, and Steve Malin. So that, that to me goes, he might, had he been never here before, Andrew Berry probably would have maybe had to replace those guys right away. But I think it's his knowledge of the other guys in this building and the confidence he has in some other uh, of, of these front office uh, player personnel guys that 
makes him feel confident that they can get the job done before the draft, before filling those positions or potentially elevating some people into those positions uh, after the draft. So I thought that was newsworthy. Secondly, uh, asked about a lot of the free agents that the Browns have looming. I agree that it's probably too early to make any decisions on these guys, but I think the key the key thing that was mentioned by him uh, was that just because he was around to draft some of these guys doesn't mean that they're going to get preferential treatment. I, I think a lot of people have drawn some conclusions about a Joe Schobert, who was around for Andrew Barry's first draft, easily the most successful member of that 2016 draft class. But it's going to go about how does Joe Schobert fit in this 2020 Browns defense? How does he fit with what you want to spend at that position? That's going to play more into it than the fact that Andrew Barry was just here to, to draft that player. Other key takeaway that I had down, if there's anything I want to be defined by, it's aggression. Yeah. Being aggressive, whether it's in free agency, whether it's in the draft, figuring out where you want to be aggressive and going after it. I thought that was – I'd like to hear that. We're not going to sit back uh, and look at the roster and go, oh, we just got to fill a couple needs. We're going to be aggressive in building this team. Well, and I would think that that's like a signature trademark of the last three GMs he's worked for. I mean, you go with Howie Roseman in Philadelphia. He's known to be sure. very aggressive in a lot of different avenues obviously was very aggressive in trading up to the number two pick in the 2016 draft with the Browns, with Sashi Brown on the other side, being aggressive in accumulating assets in a lot of different uh, traditional and non-traditional ways. I would say Sashi Brown fit the uh, the aggressive mindset. And then clearly John Dorsey with the way he was able to trade, uh, make a number of trades to get player, get talent on this roster, certainly aggressive. So I think that maybe is something he's learned in a big way from the GMs he's worked under, uh, along with maybe a Ryan Grigson in Indianapolis. He's worked along with Bill Polian as well. I mean, I think that that's, that's something that a lot of good GMs do, but it's aggression in the right places, and I think that that's where Andrew Berry can kind of have that measured approach as well. All right, so Andrew Berry addressed the media. After that, owner Jimmy Haslam addressed the media, and Kevin Stefanski addressed the media. Any big takeaways? Uh, we touched on a few from Stefanski, but anything from, from our owner? Yeah, I think the one – a couple things. I think, one, it was pretty clear his vote of confidence for Baker Mayfield. I, I don't think that was – you needed to hear it because it's only year three in Baker Mayfield, but he's coming off a tough year. But to hear kind of a universal – everyone is backing this guy and believe – that 2019 was not reflective of what they project the rest of his career to be. I think that that is a strong indication of where this organization stands with the quarterback, which is the most important position, most important player uh, on your team moving forward with how you build around your roster. I think that was significant too. Uh, I think it was, uh, I, I enjoyed kind of the the clear disappointment that uh, Jimmy has him showed in, in the, the stuff with Kareem Hunt from a couple weeks ago. Odell Beckham, I think those are two very different situations, but two uh, kind of off the field situations that you didn't want your first year head coach dealing with right away, but clearly it's part of the job. Uh, but it, it's 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 good to see that that was kind of laid out clear. Basically, it's like the team wants Cream Hunt, they want Odell Beckham on this on this team moving forward, but it's it's got to be w- following the the guidelines that you're provided and representing this team well on and off the field. All right, so that's big takeaways from today. A lot of people talking from this organization, especially the front office, the coaching staff, and ownership. You got a chance to hear from all three types. We had a chance to sit down after everything had settled, the dust had settled, with new head coach Kevin Stefanski, talking about his relationship with Andrew Barry, talking about his approach to the draft, and how the coaching staff will deal with the front office people. And uh, pretty open conversation about expectations going in to April 6th when all this starts for real. Have a listen. And we're happy to be joined right now on the best podcast available. 
by the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski. And coach, appreciate a few minutes of your time on, on a busy day that Andrew Barry gets announced as the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And talk a little bit about your relationship with, with Andrew dating back to, to last year, a man that holds you in, in pretty high regards, as he said earlier today. Yeah, which I, I question him on that. I don't <laughs> think my wife is as high on me as he thinks she may be. Maybe my mother-in-law. But, uh, you know, I even go back further with Andrew than last year. I remember Leslie Frazier introduced Andrew and I to each other at just outside the Battle House Hotel in Mobile, Alabama, during the Senior Bowl, and that's probably about 10 years ago. And Leslie pulled us together and said, you got to get to know this guy. Now, he didn't say he was going to be the GM and I was going to be the head coach of the Browns, you know, shortly thereafter. We weren't thinking that, but just a, a, an impressive guy to be around. And so from that moment was somebody that I kind of always kept tabs on. And then going through the process last year, really got to know Andrew. And then we just stayed in touch. We just had, we had a lot of conversations over the season and kind of what was going on in his life, going on in my life. And really, I, I would say, became close to Andrew. Uh, so as this process was playing out, you know, I think we had really good candidates, uh, which is a testament to this team, to this organization. And I think I'm just thrilled to now start to get to work with Andrew. We've got a lot of work to, to do, like anybody, when it's February and draft season. But, so we're looking forward to getting started on that work. What, what was it like to be on the other side of the table uh, in the interview process when you were, <laughs> you were the one that was interviewing with yeah, him the, just, just a year earlier? And what stood out about, about his the, interview? The tables were turned. And I'll <laughs> tell you, Andrew asks hard questions in an interview. So it wasn't fun to be interviewed by, uh, by Andrew. So I made sure to fire some at him. <laughs> Uh, you know, I just think anytime you're going through that hiring process and you're trying to get to know someone is you want to start with the person, get to know the person. Now, unique uh, aspect of Andrew with, with this place was he had been here before. So while the rest of the building didn't have to get that part of it, it, it is important to, to, to me and to Dee and Jimmy, obviously, to this whole group. We've got to get the right people. And when you're talking about Andrew Barry, this is a guy that checks a lot of those boxes. And just from the person he is, uh, from the, the, the father he is, husband, all those things were, were so important. And then just what has this first week on the job been like? And, and what is, at this stage of the offseason, how, how much is the, is the GM and coaching staff working together to kind of get opinions on guys on the roster uh, and maybe in free agency? Quite a bit. There's, and when I say there's a lot of work to do, like when I got hired, I wanted to watch the entire season. And there's no – it's not the matrix where you can plug it into the back of your head and, and get, get all that information. So it just takes time. So as we hire a coaching staff, it's that staff now evaluating our players because we need to know the Browns. We need to know the guys we have now, which can then inform your decisions as you move forward. So I think the good news is we got some really good players here. And now it's finding out, well, which players match our scheme? Where, where does that fall into to, to place, uh, the, the type of people that we're bringing in? But – all of that collaboration, I know it's something we talked about, but very simply it's just our scouts and our coaches getting together and, and our coaches explaining the skill set, the traits that are necessary for each position, our scouts listening to that, and that informs them as they go back and try to unearth some of these players. What was it like or what did you take from your time in Minnesota in terms of your interactions with front office, with scouting, uh, what you took from Coach Zimmer's interaction yeah. with the front office and scouting. Well, they have a great group out there, and, and you hit it on the head. Coach Zim, Rick Spielman, those guys, they got to you have to work together, and there's so much that you do together, and I think I've seen it done at a really high level. And when you have people that respect each other and understand each other, 
and share a vision of what you want the football team to look like, I think a lot can get done. And I think that's what I learned is just seeing people collaborate, seeing people work together. And, and it's the famous, and I've part, brought up this quote before, but the Harry Truman, you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. That is the truth. And that's where we are as an organization. We're, there's a lot that we want to do together. But at the end of the day, we're going to do what's best for the Cleveland Browns. I know Coach Childers took you under his wing and made you the assistant head coach in 2006, but was there ever part of you that thought about entering this avenue uh, of football with the scouting side, or how, how did that go in the early part? There of was. Career? You know, my dad, really by trade, is a scout in the yeah. NBA. So there's definitely an, an element where I thought maybe that might be my path. I knew that I wanted to be in football. I wanted to be close to this game that I love. I didn't know at the age of 23, back then, first time in the NFL, first time in football, I did not know that's that coaching was going to be my thing. I, I was a student of the game as a player. I love the X's and O's. But then when I got around it and Coach Childress was outstanding in allowing me to grow as, as, a, as a young, young coach. So I'd go sit in the offensive staff meeting with Daryl Bevel and Eric Bieniemy and Kevin Rogers and some great football minds. Then I'd sneak over to the defensive meeting room, and there's Mike Tomlin as our defense coordinator. There's Joe Woods as our defensive backs coach. Some great people in there talking football. So I was just so fortunate to bounce around and kind of very early on understood this is what I want to do. Now, Combine's coming up here in a few weeks. What's a coaching staff's role in that process, and what have you thought of the Combine over the years that you've been able to, to go through it? It's it's well run, I'll tell you that. It's very organized. <laughs> but the thing that's going to be crazy this year is them changing the the schedule. So I can sure. promise you there's a ton of coaches like me that are just scared to look at the schedule. I don't want to look, I don't want to know what's going on. It's it's I want to get there and then you tell me where to go because there's going to be there's going to be some new learning going on with some coaches that are set in our ways in terms of schedule. But I think it's a great opportunity number one to talk to the players. You get to go face to face. So there's right now all you have is the tape. And the tape's important that the tape is their resume, but now to put a face with that tape and albeit you don't have a ton of time, there's a lot you can find out about a guy and how much he can learn, how he retains information, the type of person he is, get all the off-the-field questions answered. So it's that time around the player in those interview settings that are most important. Then, of course, you have the 40 and the three-cone and the broad jump, and all that stuff is important, and that all goes into a, a, a bucket of our evaluation. But just sitting down with, with a guy, I think you can – gain a lot of information that way. Well, that goes back to what Andrew said in his press conference this morning about getting to know players on a personal level. And this organization clearly making an emphasis to get to know these guys, not just the, the guys on the present roster, but future Browns as well on a personal level. It's true. And I've been lucky and fortunate to have some guys in town that have come in while they're here to say hi. And, and I was just sitting with Denzel Ward for a little bit today. And he needs to get to know me. I got to get to know him. It just doesn't happen. You can't just, you know, snap your fingers and, and there it is. So I want him to know what I'm all about. I, I, I certainly laid out what we are look, what our vision is going forward for a player like Denzel. But at the same time, I, I want him to get a feel for who I am. And I'm trying to do the same for him because at the end of the day, this is a relationship business in, in any industry, you know, and, and certainly in ours. And then you mentioned April 6th earlier, and I know that's the big the big date on your calendar. How much preparation goes into just getting ready for that moment uh, as a new head coach? Yeah, quite a bit. And luckily I have some really good coaches around me to help me because that, that April 6th, you kind of start there and you start working backwards. How many weeks do we have? And there's a 
certainly on the offensive and defensive side, there's work that needs to get done schematically so that we can hand them and install, hand them a playbook when they get back here. But then at, at the, also while thinking about all that, just this is our program. So on April 6th, when those players walk into the building for the first time, they're going to get a sense for our program. And that goes from how we meet, how we uh, work in the weight room, how we treat people, all those things. So it's going to be important on that day that we start to set those uh, parameters, set the structure for, for what we want uh, our Cleveland Browns to look like. What do you like most about the staff you've assembled? Uh, we, I know we've officially announced Alex Van Pelt as the mm -hmm. offensive coordinator today. What do you like most about the staff you've assembled to this point? Well, I mentioned it earlier, and it's the absolute truth. It's a puzzle. And you really, as you're putting that thing together, there, there's pieces that you're trying to get and fit this thing to just, you want to make sure you have the right people in the right spots. And I think I think we've done a nice job uh, as a group finding those people. And we're not done. There's a few more hires here to make. But I feel so strongly that you have to do this thing with the right people, people of integrity. And that's coaches and, and players, certainly. But as we think of this coaching staff, I just think it's a bunch of uh, young men, old men, young women, uh, diversity of thought. I just think there's a great group of, of different ways of thinking. But at the end of the day, there's a foundation of trust and respect. And we, I think we have that. We'll build on that. And that should allow us to do a bunch of fun things uh, as we move forward. Any piece of advice you gave Callie when she started as your chief of staff? You know what? I don't even think I need to. She, she's, uh, she hit the ground running. Uh, she's, thank God I got her here because she's on this, and, and it's all those little things from my chair, from the head coach's chair. I mean, she's on top of the schedule, how we're going to run our meetings. Uh, it's just invaluable to me. Uh, so certainly I'm, I'm, uh, I hope to show her the way a little bit, but I'd say she's more showing me the way. How different was it back then without the uh, – I imagine she's using a lot of technology uh, right. with, with doing – setting up all these things. What, what were you doing back then, 76? Yeah, that wasn't right. too long ago. but Man, I might have even had a BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it, the job itself is uh, you are involved in so much. So yeah. is there, are there PowerPoints to be made? Yes, there are. And, and is there a lot of technical – is there a playbook to be drawn on, on the different programs? Yes. So certainly the younger people, as they come into this business, have a great feel for, for that element. At the end of the day, though, I think the fun part for Callie will yeah. be and was for me to, to just be a sponge and take in all the information to sit with Bill Callahan and just hear him talk about some of the principles of offensive line play. I think it's so valuable for a young coach like Callie. Did, did you even know that position existed when you got offered that job back back then I did because that job uh, Andy Reid did a nice job developing coaches that way so Sean McDermott started in Philadelphia in mm -hmm. that role James Urban started in Philadelphia in that role he's now the quarterback coach of the Baltimore Ravens he was the wide receiver coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and he was the director of football operations at the University of Pennsylvania when I was playing so James <laughs> was the one who got me an internship with the Philadelphia Eagles where he had then moved he was ultimately their quarterback coach so so there's a lot of people that have had this role and have made their way uh, th through coaching. And, and I just have a – I love the element of the grind of, a, of that position or quality control. I've been around so many great quality control coaches that have climbed in. You know, look at Chad O'Shea is our wide receiver coach. Drew Petzing was, was a quality control coach, our tight end coach. That guy, Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, guess what? Doug, former player, was a high school coach. 
decided to take a job in the NFL as a quality control coach. And there's no glory in that. You're putting books together, you're making copies, but I think it's such a great breeding ground for young coaches to understand what goes into this thing. Coach, we appreciate the time. We know you're more than busy right now. It's it's officially draft and, quote, the off season, right. which is anything but off. Well, so. I'm sure you guys got some draft nuggets that you can bring my way, and you got some guys. I'm, there's some free advice coming out of you guys, I'm sure. <laughs> we will try, but I think your GM might have things. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll trust Andrew with this. <laughs> appreciate coach, it, appreciate the time. Continued success. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks to new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski, for a few minutes. He's busy. They started their draft meetings today. He still has a coaching staff to, to finish putting together. Uh, Alex Van Pelt, the OC, announced formally today. He's got to figure out who's going to call plays. Although I don't know if he needs to figure that out right at this moment. But at some point, sooner probably rather than later, he's got to do that. But a lot going on, and we appreciate Coach's time. Your takeaways from what Coach had to say. Yeah, I think it's just more clear that uh, – he he's on the same page with, with Andrew Barry moving moving forward and and kind of just the 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 cohesive thoughts that they have about building this roster and building it the the right way. I I I thought it was interesting his answer about potentially going down the scouting trajectory. I've always wondered that because clearly super smart guy, father and and kind of that that kind of role in the NBA. But uh, it just sounds like he fell in love with coaching and and obviously he made the right decision because he's a head coach at the age of thirty seven. Yeah, and I think he you know he's. He's put together a nice little staff here yeah. right now. Um, is there a guy, and I know on clevelandbrowns.com, you are putting out one-on-ones that you did with a lot of these coaches. Is there a guy that has stuck out to you? Is there a guy that has stood out in terms of things you've learned, uh, maybe didn't know, whatever the case might be? Is there something that's impressed you from these guys? Yeah, I would say with the, the most recent being Chad O'Shea, I think that was just uh, he's an impressive guy and that he is like as no nonsense as it gets. I mean, it, if it, if you had to tell me, pick the interview you did, who's the guy that spent 10 years with the Patriots? I mean, that's the clear the clear one. And I, I thought what's interesting about him, though, is that, you know, he's a former college quarterback, but then grinded his way into the NFL. And then when he brought up, I asked him his two mentors, and they were obviously Belichick is going to be one of them, and then the other one is Dick Vermeil. And then I, I was like, you know, those are two of the most opposite personalities in terms of coaches. But, you know, he he brought it back together that they both embodied that they both have the same work ethic. And that was the one thing that Stefanski told me about Chad O'Shea is that this guy is like a gym rat in terms of coaching, watching film. So that's that's the mindset that was necessary. And I think he really I don't think he was taking speaking about the Browns as a whole, but it was more of the kind of the Patriot way mindset that the wide receivers can't care about their stats they're a part of this team like they they they're it is the team concept and he he can both embrace that in that the, the new england patriots went through a ton of wide receivers during his time and a lot of different guys were successful and i think he has a really good track record at the position now has a year under his belt uh calling plays with the miami dolphins they had a pretty strong finish to the year uh offensively with with ryan Fitzpatrick and really as i mentioned a lot of roster constraints i think he might have done as good as he could have uh, with with zero running game and and Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, but uh, he he's an interesting. Imp- I think he was an impressive hire for the staff. You could talk for days about Bill Callahan. I sure. think that was uh, a huge hire for 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 this uh, organization. And it, it's just going to be now. It's going to be interesting to see what does the defensive side of the ball come together because obviously we know Stefanski's background is ma- mainly on offense. I mean that that's why this this staff was able to come together a little quicker. 
but uh, the defense side of the ball is going to be huge because this is, uh, I think you're going to build around the personnel you have, but it, it's going to be a different look this year. Alex Van Pelt, too. Uh, you know, we, we had Rob Domofsky on from ESPN in Green Bay, and he, he said it was one of the things that ultimately led to Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy's breakup. And, yeah. and that's when Van Pelt was removed as the quarterback coach. And uh, he and Rodgers had a very tight relationship and a good bond. And, you know, if, if Van Pelt can have that kind of relationship with Baker Mayfield, uh, one would think that we would be in pretty good shape. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Browns do in a couple different ways because not only is there a decision to make with play calling, uh, there's a decision to make on whether or not you add also a quarterback's coach on top of Van Pelt. I mean, you don't really have to because I think he has a background in quarterback, so does your head coach. Uh, in coaching quarterbacks but it really is interesting to look at his resume he also has one year of play calling experience it was almost uh, a meteoric rise to get to that his first coordinator job he was a quality control guy in 2006 and an offensive coordinator in 2009 I mean that was maybe a, a lot at an early stage in his career but he's kind of grinded his way back up to the to to get this job I mean he spent a good five or six years in Green Bay and then I, I think did some you hear from people in Cincinnati they were not happy to see him go uh, people to cover the team, people to follow the team, because I think that there were a lot of things he did to help Andy Dalton, but it came during times where their offensive line just was blown to smithereens, sure. and then last year was not exactly built to win. Uh, so, I mean, th but there's no doubting his ability as a quarterbacks coach. Now it'll just be a see how does that change as an offense coordinator and whether or not in year one he will be calling plays for this offense. All right, let's get to it. Our final piece of this week's best podcast available. Uh, it's the overachiever version in our mock drafts. Matt Miller from the Bleacher Report, a seven-round mock. We haven't even had the combine yet, Gribble. No. We've had we've had the East-West, the Shrine Game. We've had the Senior Bowl. We've had all this stuff, but we haven't even had the big – Things. We haven't had pro days. We haven't had anything. This guy's got a seven-round mock-out. Yeah, I'm going to go back and <laughs> at the end of the draft and, and kind of not not just – it's impossible to fact-check based on uh, guys getting matching with the right teams. It's almost impossible. Uh, but I, I'm just curious how many of these in his January seven-round mock actually get drafted. I mean, obviously the majority probably will. Sure. But that's what separates the elite seven-round mocks from the actual mock. Because I think there's just so many guys, even at this stage of the draft process, that even the, the hardcore draft analysts don't realize no. are on the radars of NFL teams. Kind of the, the Seth DeValves of the world, <laughs> you know, are not on the radar of some of these of these draft guys. So I, I, when I look at these, especially when I look at who's mocked to, to the Browns over seven rounds, I'm like, too many big schools on this list. I think you're you're almost like you're you're inclined to be picking a lot of big school guys when really these these teams have, have film on guys at these D two schools at these Ivy League schools that are just not on the radar of the analysts. Well, so let's take a look at here. I'm not we're not going to go through names. I think it's more just the positions that that he has us addressing in this uh, in the first couple rounds. Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle from Iowa. We've already talked extensively about him. He's been mocked to us uh, by a few other people, uh, notable draft gurus. I will say with with Miller, the, what he his analysis of of Worf's, which is interesting to me because he he's someone that could make a lot of sense for the Browns because 
the Browns have multiple needs on the offensive line, and it looks like Werfs projects best. He can be a tackle in the NFL. I think there's no disagreement on that right now, but he he's Matt Miller's not the first to suggest that his best possible position could be as a guard and at an all pro level. This team has one really good guard. Sure. Some some people in the pipeline to be a right guard in the future, but that's where you project this guy to be an all pro. I mean, that's that's where he becomes an interesting kind of piece. If you're if you're trying to split hairs with all these offensive tackles, he's someone that you might have to think about. I just worry that you're you're leaving it too broad and you're going to play a guy at too much at one spot and then try him in another spot and then try him in another spot and we're never going to find a spot for him. We past regimes have done that. Right. <laughs> and and that that's my big concern on that. Like if if he's going to be a guard and you're going to draft him to be a guard, then play him a guard. Yeah. Don't try him a tackle, play him a guard. Easier said than done. What the heck do I know? But that's th- that's my big hesitancy on that. But if he projects as a guard and he's as good as Joel Batonio, we'll take it all day long. Yeah. So uh, so he's got Werfs at offensive tackle. In the second round, Ashton Davis, the safety from Cal. Uh, in the third round, he's got an edge, Curtis Weaver from Boise State. He also has us taking a tight end out of Missouri that I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce in terms of the last name. We're going to call him Albert O, as uh, Doug Deacon would do got it. on the preseason radio broadcast, unless you have an idea. On no, I don't. I do okay, not. good. Uh, the rest of the draft is inside linebacker, edge linebacker. So a, a lot of defense. Surprised only one offensive lineman? Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, it's tough because I think that we these guys are mocking for 32 teams. We obviously know the needs of this team more than than uh, than some of the analysts do. I will say this is that a lot of this is going to be dictated by what you do the month earlier in free agency. If you sure. feel like you have to draft uh, a multiple offensive lineman or not, but obviously, you know, if we're getting into our three biggest needs, which this exercise kind of leads into, I think offensive tackle tackle specifically is your number one need going into this draft. I think that's a unanimous. Uh, feeling around with draft analysts, uh, insiders, everyone on, under the sun, especially if you don't re-sign Greg Robinson, especially if, if Chris Hubbard is not back next season. It's a, it's a huge need, and this is the perfect year to need it because there's a lot of good players at that position. So that would be my number one uh, need for, for this team. I think secondly, I think safety is another one, especially if Demarius, Demarius Randall's not back. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get out of Morgan More Burnett at the early part of the season because the Achilles injury is no joke. Uh, and then some other key players, even like a Justin Burris, th- those guys are free agents. I mean, you got you got a lot of holes to fill. Really, your only guaranteed guy back is Sheldon Grovine, your fourth round pick from last year. So, a lot of area, a lot of lot of opportunity to fill that. I will say, there's a lot more avenues in free agency to fill those needs than there are on the offensive line. So, so maybe you can address some of those needs in free agency more so than the draft. And third, I look at linebacker, and that's regardless of if Joe Schobert is back or not. I think sure. that you – we don't know what kind of defense this will be uh, in 2020 just yet. I, I don't think we can close the door completely on switching to a 3-4, though I don't I don't expect that to be in the cards if you're building around uh, the personnel you have on hand. But you just need more from that position. I know you addressed it with multiple picks last year with Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, but you can't just rely on those guys – blossoming and filling it you have to hammer away at that position with more bodies and I, I think that that is an area where I could see you adding multiple players in the draft 
All right, so that's what Matt Miller did, seven yeah. rounds. Chad Reuter from NFL.com with a three-round mock out, and he does this every year, and he's pretty consistent throughout the whole process. Every time he puts something out, it is a three-round mock draft. Mm-hmm. So his four picks for the Browns, Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle, South Carolina at number 10. The lone exception in all of the mocks that yeah. did not have an offense tackle in the Browns in round one. It's very interesting. Is tackle more of a need than an edge rusher? It might not be a need, but if you're in that position at number 10, Kinlaw might just be the best player available. To, so to play off this podcast name, you, you might be in a position where you have to take the best player available, and he could very well be. Matt Pert, offensive tackle from Connecticut in the second round. Uh, Alohi Gilman, safety from Notre Dame. Might have butchered that. And Akeem Davis-Gaither, the linebacker from Appalachian State. Again, three out of the four first picks on the defensive side of the football where you di- you mentioned it. You could address some of those in free agency. You can. Yeah, it's just it'll ju- that and I think that's going to ultimately dictate it and it, I think that the one position that is not being mentioned here and one that I didn't really mention as a top 3 need and that's based off what I heard from Andrew Barry earlier today and on CBD about David Njoku is tight end. This is not a great tight end class, but I could see you adding a few players uh, at that position as well. But to go back on, on Kinlaw, I pulled this quote from Todd McShay about Javon Kinlaw, who was the best player probably overall at the Senior Bowl, probably the top-ranked prospect. He was quoted as saying, if God was going to make a defensive lineman, it's this guy. It took 48 hours for him to just show every NFL GM, every NFL head coach that I'm the guy. Someone was smart enough, probably his agent, to say, you did a good enough job, bud. You can leave the Senior Bowl. He was done in 48 hours and probably made 12 to $15 million. So he had a good week. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's he got a great we could, story. We should all be so lucky. He's got a great story. Grew up in extreme poverty in D.C., moved to South Carolina, had to go to junior college, had to lose a ton of weight, and now he's one of the top defensive linemen in the draft. So clearly, even though this team has some good defensive linemen on it, not someone you can just br- say that you have to pick a need over this guy. So someone of, of interest. And if you are going to go defensive lineman, Matt Pert from UConn is someone – that is an interesting prospect, to say the least, in the second round because he moved from left tackle to right tackle during his college career at UConn. So he's, he would probably project more as a right tackle in the NFL. Been compared to DeBrickishaw Ferguson from a physical standpoint. He's from Jamaica. Didn't play tackle until his senior year of high school. And at UConn, he was the only player that stayed for five years, basically, in his entire class. Like, everyone had graduated, and since UConn stinks, Everyone graduates <laughs> and tries to transfer to another school to be a graduate transfer, kind of like a Jonah Jackson at Ohio State who played at Rutgers and then uh, went to Ohio State. He stayed, so he is like known as the guy who stayed, and he's great leader, uh, those kind of guys. So he's, he's an intriguing prospect, but would certainly be the fit into the kind of raw drafting on upside kind of tackle. Might not be a plug-and-play right away kind of guy. All right. Interesting to know and something to monitor, especially as we get closer to the NFL Combine, which is four weeks away uh, from now. Uh, Todd McShay, draft guru from ESPN.com. His mock draft 2.0 is out at number 10, Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston. It's a name that we hadn't really talked about a whole lot last week or this week. Uh, It's offensive line, but it's a different player than – what we've talked about in the past. Yeah, this would be another guy that made a lot of money at the Senior Bowl, apparently. I mean, he's a smaller school kind of guy. I mean, Houston's not the biggest, not the smallest school, but not the biggest school. 
uh, probably the best offensive tackle that went to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. So I would call this the uh, post-Senior Bowl mock bump that some players get. Uh, so Prior we'll, to the we'll, Yeah, so we'll see if once you go to the Combine, some, some people then remember, oh, yeah, all these juniors are really good too. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, poo-pooing on, on McShay's pick here, but it, it's, it's a unique one. He's the only guy that's kind of gone out on a limb to have Josh Jones go this high uh, in a draft. But I would say that his analysis of Jones is another reflection on how deep and good this tackle class is. I mean, we are just a couple years removed from the Browns being at the 33rd pick in the draft and really not having a tackle good enough to pick. You know, that was a situation, but Browns needed yeah. a replacement for Joe Thomas, needed a true left tackle. There weren't any Nothing. to find. And I think the only tackle that went in that draft before 33 was McGlinchey. And I don't even think he plays. Does he play on the left side? I think he's a right tackle. Yeah. Was there talk about him even playing guard? Yeah. Yeah. There was some speculation about that. Yeah. Both him and – because him and Quentin Nelson came out at the same time. Correct. That's right. So th- it's come a long way to thinking that there's no tackles that are ready for the NFL with the way that the league – plays it's it's how much adjustments have to be made and clearly there's going to be some adjustments that have to be made for a lot of these guys uh but this is this is there's a lot of tackles and there there could be maybe potentially five or even six going the first round this year yeah something to watch here as we get closer to the nfl draft and free agency will tell us i think a lot more as to where this team's going to go and it goes back to Andrew Barry saying he's going to be aggressive with whatever they decide to do. They're going to be aggressive doing it. So, something to watch. There's aggressive, but there's very rare aggressive GMs out there willing to trade their really good left tackles. Correct. So that's 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 the yes. challenge that Andrew Barry faces is that, or let them not, go in free agency. Right. There's just they're 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 just not around. No. I think maybe it helped the Browns. I don't know if it did, but the the news this week on Andrew Whitworth going back to the Rams. So that's that's probably one less team that needs a left tackle at least for this coming season uh but still a lot of other teams out there looking to upgrade because again we took it for granted for 11 seasons here having that position all locked up while the rest of the roster was a mess but the browns had a left tackle for all those years while a lot of teams did not and this is what life is like in the nfl where i think 15 teams are satisfied with their left tackle the other uh 17 are out there looking for a new one all right That's going to wrap up Episode 2 for the best podcast available. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Like us. Give us a comment. Rate us. We like and appreciate all of your feedback on the best podcast available. Thanks to Ricky Sawinski for all of his hard work. Paul Taylor, great job by him. Jeff McDaniel. And we want to thank uh, Coach Stefanski for his time as well. Appreciate him on a busy, busy day and a busy week here in Berea. Gribbs and I are back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching the best podcast available.